It is the Healthy Families Podcast, and I'm your host, Jenny Hatch. My show today is about nuclear survival. This is a topic that I've thought about since I was a little girl. And now that I am a 55-year-old grandmother, it is a topic I still think about today, all these years later. After 9-11 in 2001, I contacted Christopher Ruddy, who was the editor at Newsmax, and asked if he would like me to write an article from the perspective of a mom who's a prepper. And he said it sounded great, and so I wrote my one and only column for Newsmax, A Mother Thinks About Nuclear Survival. I don't think I titled it that. I think they chose the title for that, if I remember right. It's been a long time. But in that article, I shared some words from Cresson Kearney's book, Nuclear War Survival Skills. And this is a field manual that I had bought in the 90s and started studying because of my own concern about nuclear holocaust. And here's a quote from that book. Fear often is a life-saving emotion. When we believe death is close at hand, fear can increase our ability to work harder and longer. Driven by fear, we can accomplish feats that would be impossible otherwise. Trembling hands, weak legs, and cold sweat do not mean that a person has become ineffective. Doing hard, necessary work is one of the best ways to keep one's fears under control. If the danger is unexpected enough or great enough, normal persons sometimes experience terror as well as fear. Terror prevents the mind from evaluating dangers and thinking logically. It develops in two stages. The first stage is apathy. People become indifferent to their own safety and are unable even to try to save themselves or their families. The second stage is a compulsion to flee. Persons who understand, who learn to understand the nature of our inherent human traits and behavior and symptoms are less likely to become terrorized and ineffective in the event of a nuclear attack. And as I said, this was from Crescent H. Kearney's book, Nuclear War Survival Skills, which is available online for free for anybody to read. Now, back in the day, in the 90s, I read this book three times. And I read it over and over because I really wanted to internalize what it would take to survive a nuclear war. I did not know that I was terrorized about nuclear war until I had my first baby. And when I gave birth to my daughter in 1988, just a few short weeks later, in the beginning of 1989, I had a nervous breakdown. And during that breakdown, I hallucinated that I was living through a nuclear attack. In my mind's eye, and when you're psychotic, you um, are 
It feels like you're dreaming, but you're awake. So in this hallucinatory state, which came after about a month of me getting no real sleep, no REM deep sleep, I, I was awake and alert and could not sleep for over a month when I became manic and then tipped over into psychosis. And during this psychotic episode, I hallucinated mushroom clouds, the bombs going off, us driving frantically through the countryside, fleeing, looking for a safe place to be. And so this was the nature of my psychosis, was this nuclear reality. And since that time, I've crossed paths with a lot of moms who had similar experience after their psych their babies were born, they had what's termed a postpartum psychosis. And this is a small minority of women who experience the extreme level of postpartum depression after their babies are born. And those of us who experience this quite often will not have a significant mental health history. This mental health episode shows up seemingly out of nowhere. And here is mom just completely crazy and it's after the birth of a baby. So I was surprised to find out that other moms had also reported this reality of just, this was their greatest fear. And it manifested during this break with reality. So to help myself heal, I decided to become an expert, if a homemaker can do such a thing, but really educate myself about nuclear war to attempt to quell my own fears. And what I came to learn were actually terrors about a nuclear engagement. And so I read Crescent's book three times. I taught classes on it. I was asked to speak during a Sunday school lesson that was held in my church and teach uh, principles from this book on the Sabbath in Sunday school, which think about that, you know, this is, this is my people, the, the Latter-day Saints, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormons, are notarized for their prepping behaviors. And I was tasked with coming in and sharing what I knew about nuclear war. I remember holding up the book during that lesson. It's a green, big manuscript type book. And I held it up. So everybody in the congregation, we were in the chapel, could see the book and the title of it. And I heard a few gasps like, oh, great. Where is she going now with this? Because <laughs> I'd already kind of been tagged as the wheat woman in the ward who actually ate her food storage. This was this was an oddity to my fellow Mormons that we actually ate our food storage. It's fine to store it, but who wants to eat that stuff, right? Um, and then I had given birth to my fourth baby at home alone after doing my own prenatal care, wanting to learn self-reliance around my mothering. And here I am, it was like 1998, 1999, teaching this class on medical self-reliance to be prepared for nuclear war, just in case. And the members of my congregation were just a few of them, especially some of the women, not so much from the men, but some of the women were like, oh, here she goes again. And I understand, I understand the, the psychological reasoning for why you would, you know, question somebody 
talking constantly about preparing for nuclear and biological warfare. That does get annoying. I was accused of being the, the Debbie Downer on that Saturday Night Live sketch, the doomsday girl. You know, we all get together and talk and I'm like, hey, have you put in your supplies to survive from biological attack? You know, that does get annoying when people are talking about the weather or talking about the color of their drapes or home decorating or how to potty train a two-year-old. You know, I was always off in left field talking about prepper things. And my friends in my day-to-day life were, you know, like, can we talk about something else, Jen? Can we change the topic? I couldn't let it go because it felt so real to me that this was uh, what was happening in our world and that we needed to be wise and aware and in tune with the Holy Spirit to know what to do to prepare. And I just looked at it as one big psychological prepping attempt. attempt to help myself deal with my own terrors, which however they were internalized, whether growing up in my parents' prepper home or just being a child of the 80s where, you know, we didn't do duck and cover like they did in the 60s. But there was enough talk in the 80s about nuclear war. And this is before the Soviet Union fell. And, you know, there was just a lot of talk. So I just coped with it the best I could. And in so doing, I learned a lot about the facts. And I personally believe psychological preparation is more important than physical preparation. And it's because of the terrorizing aspects. And if you can just recognize that when you see people just become apathetic, it's not that they're stupid or lazy or slow-witted. They're terrorized. They're terrorized. And they're absolutely overwhelmed to know what to do. And this happened to many people during COVID lockdowns and new normal of all the things we were asked to do. And people were terrorized. They were overwhelmed. And so if you can understand the psychological side of it, it makes you much more capable to deal with the physical realities, which it's true. If you are in the center of a space where a nuclear bomb has gone off, You're not going to be here. You're going to go. And that's okay. You know, you're gone. The concern is with the people living 10 miles outside of where the bomb dropped or 50 miles or 100 miles downwind. And we're seeing this right now in Ohio with this train derailment that the reality of what these people have been exposed to seems to be jacking up higher and higher as each day clicks by. And there's some in that town who've been terrorized with the deaths of their plants uh, with of their animals and the exposure of their plants to these toxins. And people are reporting rashes and headaches and sickness and what's going on. Everybody's curious to know what's going on. And then you have the grifters in the form of the fear mongers. And over the years, I at times have been accused of being a fear monger in trying to share the facts. I don't know where people's hearts are when they share alarmist reports about what this toxin can do to people. I do know that I believe the most toxic things are the things that are injected into our bodies or that we willingly take into our mouths in the form of pharmaceuticals and foods and and that these have the most devastating effects on our bodies over the environmental toxins. Well, the most toxic thing in our world today 
is in fact a nuclear bomb. And with all the talk these days about nuclear engagement around the Ukraine war and escalation into World War III and China and Russia creating an alliance, there is just a real sense of, you know, are we going to have a nuclear war? And I'm here to tell you, no, that is not going to happen. I know personally that is not going to happen. Uh, those who wanted to hoist a nuclear war on the world were prepared and ready to do it during President Obama's presidency. And there was a divine benevolent force that stopped those attempts to start World War III. They tried over and over and over again to get it going. And this divine benevolent force called down from heaven through faith in Jesus Christ stopped them at every juncture. I can testify to you that that is the truth. It was stopped. Now here we have again this talk about nuclear war, and I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. But I'm still concerned about those who are frightened, who are scared, who are taking care of little ones, who feel terrorized. This this showed up at a town hall for Hakeem Jeffries the other day when a man showed up and during the Q&A, he, he said some choice words, and I'm going to share these with you. Security Council had a meeting yesterday and Ray McGovern spoke to it. He is a former member of the CIA and he testified in support of Seymour Hersh's article on the United States bombing Nord Stream pipeline. If it is proven that the United States bombed the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, as has been asserted by Seymour Hersh and his article, will you call for the United States to acknowledge and admit that that was an act of war against Germany and Russia. And I'm asking this because this may be the only way to prevent the rest of us from being killed in a thermonuclear war. And I don't want to be fried. Don't you think the media should be reporting on whether or not this is true? And don't you think you should be inquiring into whether or not this is true? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, one, I've got no information to suggest uh, that the United States was involved in bombing the Nord Stream pipeline. Because he would have, he, you would have, you would have been, you weren't briefed on it. Sir, sir, you got your chance to ask yes, the question. You weren't given information because he explicitly says you weren't briefed on it. Shouldn't you inquire? So here's what I'll say about, I think, President Biden's leadership generally as it relates to the Ukraine and Russia. We committed an act of war. What are you doing to respond to that? We have to hold Biden accountable. So listen, you're from Brooklyn, right? You know when to call bullshit when you see it. So do I. This is bullshit right now. And I see what's happening right now. That does not silence me. You can hear me right now. I want you to say something about the bombing. Because we're all going to die from a nuclear war right now. Unless you stop it and you at least put an inquire into whether or not it's true. This war in Ukraine is going to leave us all dead. So what are you going to do? Because you need to inquire. Here's I'm a New Yorker say. too. Here's what I'll say. Say it. We're going to continue to stand with the Ukrainian people. That's fucking bullshit. Do not do that. You will end us all dead. this war against... We Vladimir need Putin. peace. We need talks. Because Why are you sabotaging talks? Not do not put your hands on me. We need Ukraine peace talks. I am not going to take this. It's a we need peace talks. It's you are leaving. Listen. Did you even read the allegations? It's a no. Between how about how about accountability? Not airheadedness. 
battle between okay. tyranny and freedom and democracy okay. and truth and freedom will prevail in the United States of America. Not destruction. How about that? I want to ask you to join me. You goddamn airhead, you're going to kill us all. I don't want to die in a goddamn nuclear war. So that video is ripping around Twitter today uh, that the guy, Jose, um, was escorted out of the building. Hakeem Jeffries had had about enough when he, when he took him out of the building. But I think he captured the moment and the energy. And there's just a lot of terror. And so, again, the question must be asked. How do we survive? How do we survive the psychological war, which is significant? And if a bomb were to go off, even a dirty bomb or a lesser form of warfare, what do we all do the next day? And that was honestly what I theorized in the article I wrote for Newsmax, attempting to convey, look, most of us are going to survive if a bomb goes off. So let's think about what we do the next day. There was a pretty famous movie made in the 80s. And it was called The Day After. And it tried to depict nuclear winter and everybody's wandering around startled and afraid and dying of radiation poisoning. And, you know, it's an interesting movie and it made some good points, but it really sent out the message that this is not survivable. And if you survived, why would you want to? And I've heard people say that. Oh, I'm not going to prepare because why would you want to? It's, everything's just going to be radioactive. And my message regarding that is most of us will survive and be fine. And I just want to share a little story from my own family that depicts this. Many people know that in the 50s and 60s, America was setting off nuclear bombs in the deserts of Nevada as tests. They, they did all these tests. So downwind of those bombs were communities in southern Utah where it was sparsely populated, but there was still people living there. And whenever the wind was blowing to the west towards Los Angeles, they would reschedule, waiting for the winds to change and move east towards Utah. Because they didn't want to have nuclear radiation hitting Los Angeles, an urban center. But they were totally down with sending that nuclear cloud over southern Utah. And so my sister-in-law, Danielle, was one of these children who was exposed to some of this nuclear fallout. And they call these children downwinders, people who live downwind of the blast. And in her adult life... Um, Danielle was diagnosed with cancer and uh, was compensated by the government for her medical bills because of being a downwinder. The government acknowledged, yes, we did this thing. It caused cancer in many people, and we want to help you with your medical bills. That is a fact. That happened. And there were some untimely deaths. Some children died. And there's still a terror in certain people. Another sister-in-law has an absolute terror of being outside and around the dirt. And she's just got this terror of being exposed to nuclear fallout, thinking that it's still there 
in the dirt. And so the effects of this thing are still going on decades later in the fear some people feel about being outside too much. My point in saying this is there's this notion that if you get exposed to nuclear fallout, that you're going to be sterilized or you're going to be sick for your whole life, or you're going to just have a horrible life. And, you know, my sister-in-law is one of the most wonderful people you ever meet. She ended up having six children. Two, two of them are adopted. Four of them are her biological children. All of her children are amazing. She has many grandchildren, healthy, whole grandchildren. And, you know, to say that this nuclear fallout ruined her life is just a lie. It definitely affected her life. She did develop cancer, but she's had treatments for the cancer and it didn't ruin her life. And that's my point. If you're downwind and you get exposed to something, whether it's a, a train derailment or it's, we're now hearing that perhaps it was a train explosion. There was a bomb that took that train out and nasty chemicals all over the place, or it's nuclear fallout. There are things you can do to help yourself. And it's not that we're all just going to keel over dead. I, I see more people keeling over dead from getting the vaccine than I see from any of these biological or the threat of nuclear stuff. And again, pick your, pick your battles in terms of what you think is the most uh, noxious thing to be concerned about. My, my, I would ask you, you know, and thinking of, of the greatest risk, if you've even considered that the shots you willingly roll up your sleeve for and get into your arm are not worse than these other forms of warfare. Something to think about. So here's a clip from a video that was put together recently talking about Ukraine. The first casualty of war is the truth. And if the American people knew the truth about U.S. interference in Ukraine, they might not be so eager to start World War III. During World War II, Western Ukraine sided with the Nazis. After the war, the CIA helped Ukrainian Nazis evade the Nuremberg trials and began operating with them within the Ukraine. After decades of CIA infiltration, the Ukrainian People's Movement emerged in 1989 and gave birth to extremist groups Svoboda, Trident, and Right Sector. Neo-Nazi groups pushing for the ethnic cleansing of Ukraine. Extremist groups cultivated by the CIA, supported by the U.S. State Department, and used by the IMF to bring Ukraine to heal. When Yinukovych beat NATO-backed Yushchenko in the 2010 elections, his government was being pressured into signing an EU association agreement by the International Monetary Fund in their typical conquer-by-debt offer that would financially ruin the Ukraine and place them at the mercy of the World Bank. Yinukovych declined their offer. And in today's corrupt world, you're not allowed to say no to the IMF. Funded by Western NGOs associated with George Soros and the CIA, a highly organized color revolution was immediately deployed against Yinukovych. 
Leaked phone calls reveal that the U.S. State Department was orchestrating this coup d'etat from within the U.S. Embassy with support from Vice President Joe Biden. Sullivan's come back to me, uh, VFR, saying you need Biden. And I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deeds to stick. So okay. Biden's willing. So you had this remarkable phone call where you have these two senior officials of the U.S. government apparently talking about a coup or how they were planning to restructure the government of Ukraine. Fuck the EU. No, exactly. Supporting a criminal war against Russia does not make you a patriot. It makes you a useful idiot of the globalist banking cartel. The very same entities waging war on all of humanity with vaccine passports and experimental jabs. The world's biggest investment fund says the war in Ukraine has put an end to globalization as we know it. Larry Fink is the chief executive of BlackRock. Countries and businesses are cutting ties with Russia. They're also imposing sanctions against the country, including cutting off its central bank from its foreign reserves. Fink predicts that with Russia's decoupling from the world, governments and companies will reevaluate their supply chains and even consider reconsider their dependency on other nations. See, the truth is slowly going to come out about what's really going on. And what's really going on is this. The Ukraine has been the center of, uh, of the globalists for decades and decades and decades, 70 years at least. CIA, which is not a good organization, they're, they're the, the implementers of deep state, let's say. They've been working this in the Ukraine for 70 years, building up a resistance to everybody and everything. Why? Because they needed to bring the Soviet Union down, but they also want the resources that are in the Ukraine. That's what this is all about. Particularly Eastern Ukraine, massive natural resources that CIA goes in, gets control of, and American business interests, and they're not business, they're just robber barons. They're not legitimate businessmen. They just want to steal, and that's what goes on. And so they're taking that away from from the, from Russia and the Ukraine. And on top of that, it's the centre of the deep state. And so by Vlad Putin going in, he's cutting the head off the snake. Once the head comes off, the whole beast will die. So that's what's actually going on, folks. So please, they are going to tell you their stories about um, possible nuclear war and Vlad's the bad man. This is the war with Russia that they wanted with Hillary Clinton as president because she lost... The whole war against Russia was postponed. This is the plan they always had. This has been in the works going back to at least 2015, 2016. It was somewhat set back by the election of Donald Trump in the United States because Trump was not a globalist, but he was opposed to many of these schemes. What we're seeing now is a merger of the Great Reset, the Green New Deal, the policies on, on covid and a number of other aspects of, of government policy, which is being directed not on behalf of sovereign governments, but against sovereign governments. And this is why we're seeing the situation in Ukraine. And what is Russia's crime? Putin has asked for 20 years for security guarantees for Russia. And these guarantees include no further eastward expansion of NATO, which was promised to Gorbachev in 1990 which was promised again to Yeltsin in 1994. And yet NATO keeps moving to the very borders of Russia. Now they're talking about, as Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, did at the Munich Security Conference, that Ukraine has a right to develop nuclear weapons. And for Putin, Russia's security is directly threatened by two aspects of the Ukraine situation. The corruption, which includes prominent Nazis in positions of the defense and security forces of Ukraine. The European Union actually acknowledged in 2018 
that the defense and security forces of Ukraine were heavily infiltrated by neo-Nazis marching behind the banners of the Ukrainian SS, which joined Hitler in the 1940s. And when Putin said you need a denazification of Ukraine, he was called crazy. But the idea of a government, a corrupt government, being used not to defend the Ukrainian people's freedom and sovereignty. And I hate to see what's being done to the people of Ukraine right now in this war. But they are the cannon fodder for a NATO and U.S. and British drive to bring down Russia and China. Why? Because they're the two leading powers in the world that oppose giving up sovereignty to this Green New Deal and the Great Reset. I, I don't have too many remedies. The, the remedies have to be discussed through dialogue by the stakeholders of our global system. But um, I just see the need for such a dialogue and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. To what extent would a reset be brought about by a change in the White House, the election of Joe Biden, for instance? I don't know. Um, we First, we shouldn't speculate about the outcome of the election. We will see um, beginning of November, and then we, we can, in any case, uh, we can, and the World Economic Forum, uh, is a very open and as an open platform to integrate everybody who is willing to address those issues in a spirit which means uh, to exercise here uh, true global citizenship. Easily. How big-hearted of Klaus, Klaus to say that. We have to wait and see what the American people choose. You know, we don't want to speculate whether Biden's going to win. <laughs> you know, it's almost like he's saying, we're just going to pretend that all of these machinations we've put in place with the Dominion software and changing out people in positions of power and secretaries of state with our own people, we're, we're just going to wait and see what the American people choose. <laughs> it slays me. Um, they hate President Trump. They hate him because he stood in the way of everything they had been planning to do for decades. And when President Trump comes back into power in 2024, that is when the seven-year reign of these people will fully end. And we can all be about the business of restoring our republic. It's just going to be a little crazy for a couple of years. And so the point of this show is to encourage you to encourage you to do purposeful work, to prepare your own home, your own family for whatever's coming up next. And that because it's the end times and we have this escalation in natural disasters and wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and the floods and the fires, I don't know what's going to happen in your location. But I do know that if you will take the time to do some purposeful work preparing your own home, that that will be the best place to put your energies going forward. Doing a little bit of work helps defeat you from feeling apathetic around your own safety and survival. And especially for those of you who are young parents, who have minor children, who have babies and toddlers, I am the most concerned about you. 
and you staying solid emotionally for the sake of your kids. So if you're a young mom and you're, you're hearing all this talk about nuclear war, I would encourage you to click over to the article that I put into the show notes and the link in the call-in page. And it will also be on my Substack tied to this show. And just read the words that I wrote 22 years ago for Newsmax. I honestly gathered up every bit and particle of what was in my heart at that moment as the mother of young children and said, hey, I'm going to offer this to you. And this piece was read by many, many people. It went everywhere. I saw it being reposted all over the web when it showed up on Newsmax. And my my heart, my desire today is to send out a same message of purposeful planning as an antidote to terror and fear. And if you will just do a couple of things, you don't have to get a fancy backpack, but just get a couple of things and put them in a laundry basket. A few things you might need in case you have to leave your home. That's your 72-hour kit. Just stick it in a laundry basket so that if you have to bug out for whatever reason, you can throw it in your car or on the back of your bike or carry it and just leave your home and you've got a few essentials. You can decide what those essentials need to be for your family. If you will just do that, you will take that first little baby step of being prepared. And then if you will have the thought, okay, two weeks, two weeks living in my home without having to step outside and go anywhere. In nuclear war, there is this two-week principle of the worst fallout happens within 24 hours. And then three days after that, it's still pretty radioactive. But if you can get to two weeks without having to go outside for anything, grocery shopping, getting water, getting firewood, whatever, if you can live in your space sheltered just by your own roof with the windows closed, that will help you a lot in being protected from any fallout. The reason why people take potassium iodide is to protect their thyroid gland from getting overwhelmed with radioactive isotopes, which can cause cancer. And so that's why you would take potassium iodide if you can't get it because that once again, there's been a run on potassium iodide all over the world. You can do the same blocking with a little bit of kelp, which is a nutrient from the sea that is high in iodine. You could eat some kelp flakes on your food or take kelp cap- capsules or just buy some little kelp treats at the health food store. I've even seen these these things at just drugstores and grocery stores. A little bit of kelp to protect your thyroid. I've got some tucked away. I don't need it all the time, but I have some tucked away for this. That will protect your thyroid from the radioactive poisoning that shows up when people get exposed. Again, purposeful, thoughtful prepping to just be prepared. And again, the goal is not necessarily, because we honestly think we're going to have nuclear war, it's to help you psychologically. It's to tell yourself, okay, I'm prepared for this. If it happens, if a nuke goes off somewhere in America, wherever it happens, I know I'm prepared to live in my house for two weeks, take care of my own, maybe have a two-week water supply. You don't have to get fancy 55-gallon drums. You can just go to your local grocery store and get eight or 10 cases 
of water bottles. 10 cases of water bottles will cost you 30 bucks. Now it is heavy to carry those waters home and have them stacked around your house. That's, that's some work. But peace of mind will result if you have that water tucked away. And I've got, you know, a couple stacks of water bottles in a shed that I'm not even planning to drink because it's been out there, sometimes getting overheated and frozen, as the case may be. But I plan to use that water in case our water goes out and I need to wash some dishes or bathe or flush the toilet. So the water is not all necessarily for drinking. Part of it's for doing these other things. So get some water in, at least a two-week supply. And then once you've done all of that, which should only take you a week or two, then you can start thinking more long-term prep by putting in a three-month supply of food and then working up to a six-month or a year or whatever you feel like is prudent for you. But you start with that first 72-hour kit that's very doable, a bug-out bag, a laundry basket, a couple of things put in a grocery sack that you know where it is and you can grab it at a moment's notice to leave your home if you have to. This is prepping. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be something that you spend a lot of time on. You could right now go get a bag and put a few things in it, some clothing items, toiletries, a little bit of cash, and tuck it away. And that would be the most important step you could take on your prepping journey and take you five minutes. So here's another video. Paul, Joseph Watson, who I love. The biggest news story of the year so far. Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Seymour Hirsch just published the definitive account of what happened to the Nord Stream pipelines when they were sabotaged and destroyed back in September. Spoiler alert, no, Russia didn't blow up their own pipelines. According to Hirsch's sources, the explosives were planted in June 2022 by U.S. Navy divers under the guise of the Bolt Tops 22 NATO exercise and then detonated three months later with a remote signal sent by a sonar boy. The agenda? to make Europe completely dependent on American energy and escalate the war in Ukraine. Easily one of the biggest geopolitical stories since the invasion of Iraq, and yet the legacy media has devoted over a thousand times more coverage to a Chinese spy balloon flying over America. The media is, as ever, in bed with the military-industrial complex. They don't want this war to end. They want to prolong it for as long as possible. Hey, Vlad, you want to chime in? I'm talking about nuclear war survival skills. Always interested in your opinion on things. Just let me know if you want to chat. Um, the other thing I'd like to address is that because these revelations have come out from Seymour Hirsch and are now being validated by other people around the world, uh, the question has to be asked, what do we do as Americans to hold our politicians accountable? particularly President Biden. And if we're going to hold him accountable, what does that look like? Does he get impeached? Do we start holding weekly rallies until he's impeached? Does he get arrested for crimes against humanity or war crimes? You know, what does that look like? And I think we, sh we should start asking, you know, what, what should be the penalty for a presidency administration conducting this sort of a crime. So it's been said that Seymour Hirsch has been ignored by most media, and he has. But good old democracy now, Mrs. Goodman had him on the other night 
And here is her report. It was excellent. DemocracyNow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! co-host Juan Gonzalez in Chicago. Hi, Juan. Hi, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. Well, we begin today's show with the legendary Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hersh. In 1970, he won the prize for his reporting for the Dispatch News Service on the My Lai Massacre, when the U.S. slaughtered more than 500 Vietnamese women, children, and old men on March 16, 1968. His reporting in the New York Times on CIA spying on anti-war activists during the Vietnam War era helped lead to the formation of the Church Committee which led to major reforms of the intelligence community. In 2004, in the pages of the New Yorker magazine, Cy Hirsch exposed the Abu Ghraib prisoner abuse scandal in Iraq. Well, last week, he published another bombshell report, but this time on his new Substack page. The piece was headlined, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. It looks at one of the great mysteries of the past year. Who was behind the bombing of the Nord Stream pipelines, which were built to carry natural gas from Russia to Europe? The pipelines were severely damaged last September in a series of underwater explosions in the Baltic Sea. In his new piece, Cy Hirsch cites an unnamed source who says the sabotage was carried out by the U.S. Navy, which planted remotely triggered explosives during NATO exercises last September. Hirsch reports the Biden administration began planning the act of sabotage in December 2021, two months before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. On February 7th, 2022, President Biden held a joint news conference with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, and Biden brought up the future of the Nord Stream pipeline. Invades. Uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again. Then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. But but how will you how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will. uh, I promise you we'll be able to do it. I'll promise you we'll be able to do that. Well, Cy Hirsch reports U.S. Navy divers planted remotely triggered explosives on the pipelines in June while NATO was conducting military exercises in the area. He reports the divers were all members of the Navy and not members of America's Special Operations Command, whose covert operations must be reported to Congress. Then, on September 25th, 2022, a Norwegian surveillance plane dropped a sonar buoy, which triggered the C-4 explosives that had been placed on the pipeline. Soon after the explosion, the United States strongly suggested Russia was behind blowing up its own pipeline. This is National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan responding to a question at a White House press briefing. In his speech this morning, the president called the Nord Stream pipeline attacks, uh, quote, a deliberate act of sabotage. And he said, now the Russians are pumping out misinformation and lies about it. Should we take that to mean that the U.S. now believes that Russia
Russia was likely responsible for this act of sabotage? Well, first, Russia has done what it frequently does when it is responsible for something, which is make accusations that it was really someone else who did it. We've seen this repeatedly over time. But the president was also clear today that there is more work to do on the investigation before the United States government is prepared to make an attribution in this case. In the following months, there have been few public disclosures about the pipeline explosion. In December, the New York Times reported Russia had begun expensive repairs on the pipelines, a move which has raised questions about Western claims that Russia had bombed its own pipelines. Meanwhile, some Biden officials have publicly praised the fact that the pipeline was blown up. This is Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Newland, speaking during a recent Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing. I am, and I think the administration is very gratified to know that Nord Stream 2 is now, as you like to say, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. We're joined now by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Seymour Hirsch to talk more about his new piece, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. While the White House has described Hirsch's reporting as, quote, complete fiction, Calls are growing for an independent probe into the explosion. Cy Hirsch, welcome back to Democracy Now! If you can flesh out um, what it is you found in your report um, and what first tipped you off, um, albeit there were a lot of public comments, including the Polish government right after the bombing, saying, thank you, America. Lay it out for us, Cy. Well, first of all, I think the reporting really can be described as a friend of mine did. What I did was really deconstruct the obvious. I mean, you have to hear what the president said. But of course, there were there were secret plans that I'm writing about, um, and they include. Um, um, uh, there was a committee set up. Jake Sullivan was directly involved. He was the national security advisor, still is. Um, they set up a team to look at options about how to put pressure uh, on the. Um, uh, on the Russian government to back off. I, I, I'm getting a bounce in my ear, so this is comical. Can you hear me? We hear you perfectly. We don't hear the bounce, I. Oh, okay, that's great. Uh, I hear it, though. Anyway, um, and so uh, um, uh, there was a... I'm just writing about inside baseball stuff. It's the normal things you do. They set up a committee to think of options. Uh, Russia was clearly going to go. Uh, the threat the president had yet to make um, uh, had not been made, and this was December before before um, New Year's Day of the, of the year before 2021. Um, and the question inside the committee, and it included uh, the usual CIA, NSA, Treasury Department, State Department, you name it. And uh, they met in the secret secret office building in the uh, across the street from the White House, in the Executive Office office building. Uh, the option was: Do you want us to do something? Um, uh, uh, kinetic or somebody not something not kinetic in other words uh, not kinetic would be uh, more sanctions or something kinetic would be you know taking out the pipeline as had been thought about and her answer came pretty quickly I would guess uh, Victoria Newland's statement that you mentioned came actually before the president's it came in late um, January of 2000 of last year and that statement came I, at that time I think the the committee involved a lot of sophisticated people in, in the intelligence and operation community uh, concluded you could do it, and the White House was told it was possible. I think that led to the comments, which really, of course, made the people on the inside uh, go half crazy because it was supposed to be completely covert 
But at that place, as I wrote, it was simply described as a classified operation. None of the rules of reporting to Congress involved are involved were involved. And so they began their planning. They went to Norway, which was a great ally of ours. Norway was one of the original signers of the uh, 1949 NATO um, uh, treaty. Um, I think 19 nations were involved then. And Norway is uh, a great ally. Uh, we have spent, I write about this in some detail in, in the article, hundreds of millions, probably more than closer to, to a billion or more um, upgrading facilities. Norway has a 1,400-mile border along the Atlantic coast uh, that goes from uh, Oslo in, in Europe all the way up north uh, into, it runs into the uh, Russian uh, border in uh, in uh, above the arctic circle so we do we put a lot of facilities up north there um uh, synthetic aperture radar which costs a fortune to monitor the uh, russian nuclear sites around and also their new military activities around there up in the uh, other side of the peninsula in the Kola peninsula so it's it's just they're just our guys and they're also great at doing underwater stuff so i'm gonna end the show now we're coming up on 50 minutes and all I would say is as this thing continues to escalate and the rhetoric in the media is just getting somewhat crazy as those who have defended the Biden administration to the death are being compelled by the facts and proof to backpedal on their positions, that my concern is that the young families out there not get caught, caught in the middle of all of the argument and debate. And they're just standing there going, what do I do now? And all I can say is to put in a little bit of food, a little bit of water, have some cash reserves, and just buckle up and be ready to kind of ride the storm. And if you can keep yourself from being terrorized, that is the goal of this show today, is to help you to reasonably face the facts and just recognize it's your own psychological approach that you are the best able to manage. And you can do that with the facts. That's how I did it. That's how I continue to do it. And I pray that you will be guided to know what to do in your individual situation. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you have a great day. <laughs>